let the hogs out. Welcome to Hog Planets, the podcast where we weigh, tag, and grade the hogs of politics, of culture, of American life. Uh, I'm Dan Spaventa, and joining me as always is my uh, co-host, my partner in crime, but nothing like the crimes we'll be discussing today, uh, Sam Lewis. Sam, uh, what's up? What's up, listeners? Uh, Gavones is what we're calling them now. Um Things are fine here other than coming off of the third day of triple digit temperatures in as many days like in a row right now in D.C. It's just awful, but I think that's going on across the country. Thank you for the report there because uh, I think that's, that'll, that'll uh, you know, nestle this uh, podcast in time. <laughs> this, this is uh, you know, end of July the uh yeah it's been it's been shitty for a few days but it's not shitty anymore because we have a great guest with us tonight a fellow traveler in the world of fucking jeffrey epstein lore uh barto is with us uh barto how are you what's up fellas i'm uh i'm good how are y'all you know, anytime I really crack open the Epstein, uh, you know, the, the the saga, you know, I open up that tome, it, it, it definitely, I don't know, it, it warps your brain and your perceptions. And especially now in quarantine, it's it's very easy to fall into the sort of, you know, conspiracy rabbit holes. And, and maybe we'll get into that a little later with the other general conspiracy uh, rabbit holes that have uh, been expanding recently, but. You know what I mean? It's like when you open up the Jeps, Jepstein, the, the Epstein, Jepstein, yes, the Epstein story, uh, it just never fucking ends. I've been, I've been thinking, you know, because we were supposed to record, it's, it's Monday now, we we're supposed to record on Thursday and, you know, which is totally chill, but I, but I had this thought immediately that like, I need to stay in this brain for like four more days, <laughs> which <laughs> I, I successfully dug myself out of this hole a couple months ago, I focused on a couple other things but but i'm back baby i'm 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 in the thick of it and uh yeah so thanks well thank you for re-entering the egg-shaped hole with all of us here <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, they did put that the, the the uh footage of uh epstein you know being asked in a uh you know deposition if he has an egg-shaped penis, uh, that that did end up in the final cut of the documentary, right? It did. Yeah, that was the opening question that um, the uh, the attorney gave him during that deposition. It was supposed to throw him off, but it 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 didn't. Yeah, and uh, his tendency to uh, default to the Fourteenth uh, Amendment and what, what which other one, Sam? Oh, he did, all the good ones, the Fifth Amendment, Fourteenth, uh, all the ones that you say that you say the name of when you don't want to incriminate yourself, meaning like you cannot answer the question truthfully or else you will incriminate yourself because you did the thing that they're accusing you of. So I figured we would uh, start this conversation. Uh, we uh, all watched the Netflix documentary series. I feel like it's the first uh, real... I guess mainstream 
entertainment attempt to tell this story that wasn't like a corporate sort of podcast. So, yeah, we watched Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich. Um, to start things off, I, I found this this project very sus because it included the involvement of executive producer James Patterson, who uh, famously has collaborated with Bill Clinton on a best-selling book called The President is Missing. Barto, you read that one? I did not read The President is Missing. I, I, uh, I missed... I missed that one. <laughs> no, James Patterson's definitely sus um, for many reasons, but one of the ones I can think of just off the top of my head is that before becoming an author, I believe he was like a, a marketing or like an advertising executive or something like that. So um, I think that's correct. Yeah, so someone, you know, obviously like, you can see that in the way his books are marketed and everything. They're more, much more of a, an advertising scheme than anything you know, written or anything valuable in a literary sense. But as far as having him involved with this, when you do marketing or advertising, you're kind of spinning a narrative or a story. And I was wondering if you know, maybe this documentary is the attempt to put the, like you said, Dan, the kind of mainstream official you know, Netflix docuseries explanation of the Epstein you know, fucking enterprise out there so that people stop looking into some of the thornier and weirder aspects of the story that of course leads you to ties to other more powerful people and um, people who don't want to go down with the, with the ship with Epstein and, and Jelaine Maxwell. That makes perfect sense to me at base level. Like, you know, he's, he was Epstein's neighbor, which I did not know when, until we watched that documentary, you know, he's, um, I don't actually think that, he was, you know, it, partying with Epstein or anything like that. But like, he, he's very close to this. Um, Do you find it plausible that he didn't see like young girls entering the house when they said no. it was in, in such quantities? <laughs> like, of course not. <laughs> of course he did. Of, I mean, and that's that's the thing about all of this. You know, like as I was watching this documentary, one of the one of the things that kept crossing my mind is is you know they they don't get into anyone who's not already like explicitly pretty much on the record of, of being buddies with Epstein or partying with Epstein or whatever. And it, it, which makes sense because all of these people, uh, have really good lawyers and, um, James Patterson doesn't want to be sued. You know, he's a very rich man. I, I forget what he, he's like the richest author ever. He, he has a total income of over $700 million, which for a guy who basically pays people to farms out books for him uh, is, is pretty, pretty sweet. Um, but it, you know, you can't, I, I imagine throughout this episode, we'll be saying allegedly uh, a lot. Yeah, yeah, probably should. Um we don't want Dershowitz to come after us, even though assuredly, uh, allegedly, he, he he most likely, definitely did it. Yeah, <laughs> and I assuredly, most likely, uh, as we discussed in a previous episode, have seen Alan Dershowitz naked at least once or twice when I was a child. Because you better believe my parents took me to Martha's Vineyard for vacation for over the summer, and we would go to Lucy Vincent Beach, which is was infamous, infamously referred to as his favorite nude beach in a recent like Page Six article, which made me. I don't know, deeply upset for a while, but that's horrifying. That is horrifying, dude. I don't remember it at all, so don't worry. I wasn't. Okay. <laughs> I don't mean that in like a the way that some of these other people saw him nude, but <laughs> definitely happened at least <laughs> once. 
but when you look at someone like Dershowitz, I feel like he's the perfect example, right, of how this documentary, it's, I feel like it's not really sure uh, where it falls on someone like him. Uh, it it kind of plays both sides by letting him be a credible uh, sort of, you know, voice for the defense uh, in episode two, but it omits the charges against him by uh, uh, alleged by Virginia Geoffrey um, until the fourth episode, I think. Right. So what do you think? What do you think they're trying to do with Dersh? Now they have like a really dramatic, uh, very kind of Netflix docuseries sort of bit where um, Alan Dershowitz in his interview says like, oh, Virginia Jeffrey, like I challenge you, the Netflix documentarians or whatever, to get Virginia Jeffrey on your show to categorically accuse me. Like I, she will never do it. And of course the next scene is, Virgi- is Virginia Jeffrey saying, oh yeah, he he did like uh, this like to me like six times. I can, I'm definitely like, saying that on the record right now i mean so i don't know there was that scene but like you said it doesn't come up till near the end and um for the first few episodes he is kind of put out as this like you know he's just a criminal defense lawyer it's his job to defend people who probably did horrifying things when i look at dershowitz though um he tries to sound authoritative by virtue of like oh look i've always defended like bad people but it doesn't really I, – I don't feel like it indicts him enough for uh, very, very likely possibly having been involved in the crime as – in the crimes that are, you know, being graphically described here. It, it, it doesn't – I wouldn't walk out of that if I didn't know anything about this case and necessarily think much about Dershowitz. Well, um, the uh, the groundskeeper – at the island, right? He points directly to Dersh and says, that is who I saw a very young woman naked with. Like, I, I, you know, it doesn't necessarily, like, tie Virginia directly to Dershowitz throughout it, but, like, there, there is a more than one, you know, more than a victim accusing him of, of uh, heinous acts. Broadening the scope, uh, when you look at the doc, do you think it? it I, one thing I was I wanted more of, honestly, and I thought they would like invest resources into this, and we can talk about things we like about it too, because there were some there was some things that were really good about the doc. I thought totally. I felt like it glossed over and it, it, like the revelations about celebrities and stuff, and it didn't like it didn't showcase like a ton of pictures of Ghislaine with celebrities or like. Like, it had some, but I, I feel like that angle would get people to care more, uh, and they didn't play it at all. You know, they showed Chris Tucker and Kevin Spacey, I guess. But that was kind of it, right? Yeah, they don't go too deep into the names in the Black Book, um, for sure. Right, and which, you know, the Black Book is not like, you know, he was a collector. You know, that, that beyond anything else, Jeffrey was a, a collector of information. He was... You know, and he wanted to have people in his circle and uh, whether or not they were participants or even like knew him at any like real material level. But but there are names in that book, you know, where he has like two or three phone numbers of and uh, where you could you could point and you could make pretty strong allegations that they were. more than superficially knew each other. And if you knew more, if you knew 
Jeffrey Epstein more than superficially, it would be pretty fucking hard to not come to the conclusion of like what he was doing with his time. So what did we like about the documentary? Uh, I definitely thought the focusing on the victims was worthwhile. It's, it's an angle that is often uh, easy to overlook sometimes when you get wrapped up in the sort of like political intrigue and like the power, uh, you know, and like the, the, the CIA and all these other angles to the story. Uh, it's easy to kind of forget that there are like human, you know, women who who were you know went through this stuff uh, at Epstein and Ghislaine's hands so that was something I thought was good it definitely it definitely was more than I've heard the victims speak in in most things I've seen yeah and it also goes into a lot about how they tried to run away how they felt how he what you know tried to more or less like threaten them with you know the end of not like the end of their lives with the end of their careers or the end of because he frequently brought them in in terms of you know trying to saying that he was going to help them with their career be it artistic or whatever or you know i can introduce you to all these people and then of course when they decided after you know being assaulted multiple times that they didn't want to be a part of this anymore be associated with him anymore he would say something like well you know i can always find you and um i mean in particular sarah ransom talks about like one of the first things she says in her interview is that she moved to Spain because she feels safe there. She feels like it's one of the few places where Epstein like can't come find her. Um, it's definitely something that is harrowing and should be. Uh, I think that, like you said, it is a good part of this documentary, at least in terms of the execution, that that's being put front and center for for a change. Um, I really appreciated the that the centered centered victims. Um, it we we heard from a lot of voices that I've never heard from before. Like I've never heard Annie Farmer speak before, um, who had a particularly horrifying story. Um, uh, I, you know, there was a lot of like, there's a lot of like audio and stuff of, of Jeffrey speaking that I've never heard before, including some particularly like psycho shit that I, I've just, you know, some of those like calls with um, reporters um, after he was uh, indicted the first time um, were pretty startling, I guess, you know, just, just how, I, I don't know. I, you, you know, when you follow him, follow the story and you, you realize that like, like the audacity of this guy, you know, to, to just sort of continue this behavior um, as if he's untouchable. Um, but when you, when you hear it from his mouth is, is you know, it, it's kind of startling and it, it's unnerving to know that like people like this exist. Yeah. Hearing his voice on the interview with, with, I think you're talking about the one with George, the interview with George Rush mm -hmm. after he was indicted uh, or convicted the first time. Um, or, you know, he pled guilty or whatever, however you want to phrase it. But um, I also think some of the footage that I hadn't seen before was the, the, I don't know if it had been released previously, but the footage of when they first raided his Palm Beach mansion and they showed like the disturbing decor and interior. Oh yeah. I'd never seen that before. Cause I, it's only something I'd read about. Yeah. I, I've seen that before. Uh, I don't love that second episode opened with nudes of uh, Ghislaine. 
which was deeply upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I, I got in this documentary was like three different pronunciations of her name, which I'm even more confused on than I was previously. What what which what's the other one other than like Gislaine and Ghislaine? It was Ghislaine, and then there was um, let's see. I, I wrote down the phonetics of a couple of people's. <laughs> um, I mean, this is a notorious anti-French podcast, so there's no, there's no physical way to pronounce pronounce a French first name. So, well, I have, uh, yeah, I reject that notion because she was British. She just stole the name. Um, still counts. I guess it still counts. Still counts as French. Sorry, folks. <laughs> I enjoy saying I enjoy saying Jizz Lane, and, and the first time we did a two part podcast on this, uh, we did say Jizz Lane the whole time. I mean, that's fine. Go with it. It was right after the the murder of Jeffrey Epstein, so we are allowed. Well, I can't find it. Never mind. Forget I said anything. Oh, Gilan, Gilan was the other one. Oh, yeah. Gilan. That's what uh, Maria calls her. Yeah, I mean, I guess it just varies on how much how french you want it to sound because i mean like you said dan she's not french she's she's english but um but either way and of course you know this is a this is a topic that's worth consideration now because uh jelaine Ghislaine, whatever is in custody currently supposedly being what moved like room to room to avoid assassins or whatever i'm calling shenanigans on that one <laughs> yeah that's one of those headlines that like you know it's fun to read but then you like think about it and you're like uh, you know, would that make a lot of sense? Can you imagine being like a, a CIA funded assassin? You show up and it's like, is this room two hundred one? This is the wrong person in here. They're like, oh, sorry, we moved. Uh, we moved Ghislaine. She's in room two thirty two. They're like, ah, fuck. I'm gonna come back tomorrow. Then whatever. Like, how would that actually thwart the assassination? Right. Or she's just going to end up in the assassin's cell. You know, like they're just gonna keep leapfrogging her around until she gets to her killer's cell and. So they put her in with uh, Nick Tartaglione. Right, right, right. It, in my backyard in Brooklyn, it's uh, it's it's right. You know, it's walking distance. I could I could get to that cell right now. <laughs> you owe it to the podcast to to go out with like binoculars and be a complete freak and just like try to scope out Jelaine or whatever. And I I, I did note that uh, current and former uh, famous inmates at the uh, Metropolitan Correctional Center in Brooklyn include currently Keith Ranier and Allison Mack, who were uh, the Nexium cult. Right. You know, yeah, they're both there. And then R. Kelly was there. Martin Shkreli was there. And Michael Cohen as well was there. Um, So... A lot of a lot of you know Gillane's in good company there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, some of those aren't still there, but I don't know how I got onto that. But well, because we were talking about Gillane, and of course, it's the same place where um, where where Epstein died as well. Well, it's not. No. He was in the Manhattan oh, sorry, the mind. Manhattan branch. Uh, that, I mean, but that's like one of the weird things is that 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 has that's just become a reported fact that they are in the same prison people just keep saying that and it's just false you know and it's not just you know like random twitter accounts are saying it like i i keep seeing it like in news articles and it's probably corrected at this point but they're just the the amount of speculation and misinformation and and shit that's going on surrounding this is is baffling and it coming from someone you know again i'm 
I, I would call myself like a reluctant tinfoil hat guy. Um, you know, like I'm a, I'm a nine 11 guy and I'm a, you know, a couple other things, but like, um, but it's getting very difficult to, to parse out what is correct at all about any of this, you know, the, again, the, the re revolving jail cell thing. And, um, the, the, supposedly true thing that's come out in the last couple of days that like has totally broken my brain is that Ghislaine is or Ghislaine or what, whatever is married. You know, that's the, that's the. Yeah. That was that, that, that blast into my Twitter feed. Like, did you hear? And it's like, and, it, and she's, she's not married to that guy that she was supposed that text that like tech CEO in Boston who she, who she was supposed Scott to be living with. Borgensen. Borg Borg yeah. Is that the name? Yeah. I have we no just, idea. We just don't know. He was the o ocean guy. Yeah, the, the the um the maritime like tracking guy, right? He had like a business that like tracks shipping companies to um help people do insider trading, as far as I can tell. That's what um, it sounds like. Yeah, totally. But she's been denied bail, apparently. Um, man, what is the other the other funny thing is this? I this supposedly she was her her cell phone when they found it was when the authorities found it was wrapped in tin foil to avoid <laughs> detection. It's just, just bizarre. Just terrible, and which I think is and just enough signal blocking to make your phone work harder to get a signal out um, to to compensate for whatever is in the way. Like it seems like it was really a piss poor plan, but um, maybe you know. it was a flex. She was like, "I can afford to you be on <laughs> roaming all the time, um, so it's kind of cool. It's fly." Bardo, did you expect? her to just be in new hampshire in some mansion like that's what shocked me was that she wasn't abroad or something like she really but i guess like you said like with epstein like it's it's that like you know that feeling untouchable that nothing's gonna ever happen right it's that same kind of tendency here i mean the whole okay so everything about her popping onto the scene again is just like it's blown my mind i wasn't i wasn't prepared for this at all i was I was prepared to never hear a word about or uh, from Ghislaine for the rest of her life. I thought either she was dead, I thought she was in France or Israel or something like that, I, which does one of these things where it, 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 it starts poking holes in my brain about like, okay, what are actually her intelligence connections? You know, be, because wh why would they bring her in? Except, um, uh, what's what's the word I'm thinking for? Um, it, it's not a soft reveal, um, but but basically it was it was a thing that uh, happened a lot during the Nixon administration, where they would, you know, sort of like reveal part of what was going on to to um, to basically end the story. And now the word is escaping me. My apologies. <laughs> it'll it'll come to you, but um, the yeah no, and also I mean, when you hear about all these stories that seem kind of made up, like the idea she's being moved room to room to avoid assassins and all this nonsense, you do start to wonder. Um, it gets into like the the territory of uh, I don't know if you, you guys have seen the documentary Mirage Men, um, which is about disinformation in the UFO community, and they have this one um, this one OSI guy who t who talks about specifically telling people who were 
looking into um, like air bases, air force bases and secret, you know, military bases in, you know, uh, New Mexico or Arizona and like really remote parts of the desert. And um, the OSI was concerned about these people because these people thought that they were trying to find aliens. They thought that, you know, these were alien bases, but what they actually were probably looking at was like, um, the beginnings of drone technology, the B-2 spy plane program. And so they would send people in to tell people like, oh no, you're, I shouldn't be telling you this. My manager's going to get upset, but like we totally do have like some secret stuff here that we can't. And they would like use enough real things, but also put in all this, you know, wild disinformation about aliens and stuff to throw people off the scent because they were actually kind of stumbling onto something that was real and legitimate. And I wonder if that's something that happens with these Epstein stories that you here is um you know because like you said I, I i would agree with you bardo i am reluctantly a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist about this because i'm not the kind of person who gets into that sort of shit but then when you see the sheer amount of like weird half truths and especially in the documentary the amount of omissions of things that i thought would be int- like crucial or at least interesting to mention uh definitely starts making my third eye open up a little bit <laughs> Do you want to go into more of the omissions from the doc, Sam? Because I feel like uh, there were definitely some weird things. Like, did you get the sense that they like they they stopped short of saying like Epstein bribed this person like a lot? Maybe because they didn't have like direct proof or whatever. But it's like I don't know. You, you with all of Netflix's resources, you couldn't like. Uh, the, it just seems like there there was a lack of. They, they wouldn't make a lot of conclusions, you know? I Yes, there there was there was lots of stuff where they, you know, they sort of started pointing a little bit like the the um, people from the AG's office, you know, like emailing um, Epstein's attorneys, you know, from their from their Gmail and instead of having it on the, the public record and that stuff like crazy. that. Yeah. You know, um they but yeah I, I again that's sort of what you said I think really ties the biggest bow on it is that like they don't you could only allege it there's there's so much and that's that's the tricky thing with and why I don't like to get sucked into conspiracy theories most of the time is that there's so much that like we can just never ever know for sure you know and and this whole case is like full of that shit. Um, yeah. To, to get big names to interview in this documentary, you're dealing with people who are, who have, like you said, really good lawyers, some of whom are really good lawyers like Alan Dershowitz. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I could see the documentarians like, yeah, the conspiracy theory mind is mindset is like, Oh, they're creating an alternative narrative to throw us off the scent. They're doing all this, you know, conspiratorial shit. But the, I guess the more rational way to look at it is like, yeah, they can't really allege all these things without running into legal trouble. And at the end of the day, Netflix is selling this to people. This is a mainstream corporate product. They can't really be, you know, getting too deep into the, like the hokey conspiracy theory stuff. I mean, some of the stuff, the actual dirt that they do have, I mean, like the, the fact that Maria Biafano was like literally set, telling people to, you know, email her on her personal email and then like going into meeting with these people in hotel, with uh, Epstein's lawyers in hotels instead of in a courtroom or in a, you know, some other normal place, like a law office, um, that's pretty crazy. And they, that's something where they actually have the receipts on it, which is cool to see. But 
Man, Acosta looks like such a fucking like crypt keeper. What the fuck is wrong with his face? His demonic children too. What's yeah. like yeah. not to go in on like small children, but like what the fuck is going on with his his daughters? They look I don't know. <laughs> this is very mean. They probably don't look at this anymore. But like in the scenes when <laughs> God, I'm just. No, there's a famous photo where they look like literal, like. I know, but now that I'm ju- saying ju- it, I feel like just I'm just horror, like. Horror mo- okay, but it's fine. He's He covered up for Epstein. It's okay. Even his daughters his didn't. They're innocent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. His, it give, it, and, you know, I'm sure when his daughters are in their 20s, they're going to be really bad people, too. But until then. <laughs> There, you know, we will, we will, we we will, uh, we'll keep the uh, the spotlight on their dad. Yeah, who, uh, and I, I am revising. <laughs> looks like shit himself. I'm revising my criticism to focus on the photographer or the cinematographer or whatever, because I'm sure that those kids look um, not as disturbing in real life, so they were portrayed <laughs> badly in the documentary, which is an, a criticism we have. It was the lighting. Shame on you, James Patterson. Shame on you. <laughs> Oh, uh, can I also say James Patterson, I believe it was the day this came out, uh, announced a second book with Bill Clinton just to like, just to throw some like, some real like, uh, you know, throw some gravel down, just really being like, okay, I don't, I don't even care. And that's the other thing, thinking, you know, considering the the framing of this documentary is like, Netflix has deep ties with the Democratic Party at this point, you know, like, there, uh, literally, uh, Obama has a de- uh, signed a deal with them, <laughs> right? <laughs> Susan Rice is on their is on their board. Okay, no, and the, the, their CEO uh, does a lot of fundraising for Democratic candidates, kind of like Jeffrey Epstein. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Coincidence? I think. <laughs> no. Uh. Well, as long as we're on the topic of omissions, um, definitely something that's been brought up is the, I mean, this is also something that might fall under the heading of it's too alleged to be, to make it into the documentary. It might get the creators into legal trouble, but um, very few mentions of Epstein and Maxwell's ties to intelligence. Um, Even when they talk about Robert Maxwell, uh, Jelaine Maxwell's dad, who... Was there any, was, was, was there any, I didn't see any of of that other than the fact that he died mysteriously, but like, right. Then there's still no details on how did he die? Like, and why, why does that sound weird to people when they hear that Robert Maxwell was pushed off, fell off of his yacht, which is the, the way that everyone, a very common cause of death, apparently. (laughs) It, uh, I mean, they didn't really talk about any of that at all. I, there's no like alleging that Robert Maxwell was a spy. Like he was a spy. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a, a, everyone has come quite clean about that. Uh, I, I, you know, there's no, you know, all the stuff about Epstein's direct connections to intelligence are, they're threads. They're still threads. You know, like, and they seem pretty once you look at them and the, there's enough of them where you start to be like, okay, you know, like the, uh, once you get into, um, you know, Khashoggi, you know, mm. he, he was like directly linked to Khashoggi who, who had ties to, you know, I don't super want to get into promise and all, and all that software shit and, and the CIA links to promise and, um, 
and that connection to Robert Maxwell and all that shit. But like, you know, there, there's just enough, there's enough where if your brain is buzzing and if your third eye is wide, that it seems pretty fucking clear, but it also not enough to like put, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars behind necessarily yeah no and i, I also want to specify for the listeners the khashoggi in question is adnan khashoggi right. not jamal khashoggi yeah, um adnan khashoggi who was implicated in iran contra as a middleman and among other things so was is was israel or the Mossad mentioned a single time in this series i don't think, i don't think so i don't think so <laughs> no very scant mention of their ties to you know, Israeli intelligence. Don't you think that's why, though? It's like, I think focusing on the victims is extremely important, but it also does kind of give them a sort of, like, leeway to ignore the other stuff. You know what I mean? Well, and at least, you know, I follow a handful of them on, on Twitter, and they are wrapped up in the, you know, at least Maria, really. Maria is really wrapped up in the... the sort of conspiracy aspect of all this and and Epstein's connections to intelligence and uh you know I'm I'm not I I won't say that like this is a disservice to to her to like omit this stuff but you know like it's it's not like it's it's something that's not on at least some of their minds yeah and even at, at the end of the documentary when when Maria Farmer's showing her um her paintings and says that she started making art again, her painting of like Epstein being protected by like the U S government. I'm like, can we, like, can we hear a little bit more about why she chose to depict it that way? Like, this seems like uh, interesting stuff to unpack for the documentary, but you know, it's towards the end and it's clearly like in this, included as this sort of like epilogue to like, you know, see what they're doing now. And it's like, but this maybe reveals a little bit more about what they're thinking and, yeah, it is. It is kind of a glaring omission at the end of the day when you do note that um, th- a lot of the survivors today are thinking along the same lines that we're thinking on here. Mm-hmm. They they pack a lot of stuff into that last like fifteen minutes of that documentary. Ooh, though, where yeah. they're like, yeah, maybe Ooh, he was wow. killed. You know, there's some they they interview that um, they entertained the, the murder theory, which was more than I thought we were going to get yep. uh, from from that part. We heard from the um, the. With the aut- autopsy guy who um, his brother hired, who reveals that he had like those you know, specific bones broken in his the hyoid, the hyoid bones um, broken in his neck that very rarely he said it was it, he had never seen someone who hanged themselves have those. And they also show the the foot the photo of the interior of Epstein's room, and I'm like, so what did he hang himself from? It's pretty low ceiling, like. I think the allegation is he like leaned forward and broke his neck, right, which and, and snapped his own like... neck by force of will. I, and, I, I don't know. Did it knock any of the shit off the top bunk of his bed while he was yeah. doing it? You know, <laughs> it's, I, it's, I, if they had, if they had never released the photos of his room, I maybe could have walked away from this like with a more normal brain. But, but there, there's just. I don't know. It, it doesn't make any fucking sense to me. It doesn't make any sense. Anytime I see them definitively saying in an article, like, oh, yes, uh, Epstein, who killed himself uh, last July, I'm just like, oh, my God. No, he didn't. Like, like th- that, 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 they, that can be the official narrative without uh, any question is just like, 
I, I mean, I think uh, I think our friend Ray said this on a previous episode. He said that I think even his mom thinks that the Epstein didn't kill himself. So it's like it's not. This isn't just like a you know internet tinfoil hat thing. Uh, uh, safe to say. Yeah. Another interesting thing about that Maria Farmer painting that I forgot to mention is that um, in the painting, Jelaine is the property of the FBI. <laughs> Right. you think would need a little right. more explanation. but Let's just do a documentary on that painting. Let's just yes. explore every aspect of... We should have had one whole part of this series on that painting. Because I love the painting. It's a great painting, and there's just so much going on in there. Maria Farmer, if you're listening to this podcast, please come on Hog Plant. We'd be very happy to have you. Yeah, yeah the, uh, the painting of Jeffrey uh, in the UFO uh, was pretty interesting. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think that's the same one that we're describing. It, just a lot going on there. And yeah, a lot in these like last 15 minutes of the um, episode, which of course also include, I think, um, I don't know if it was like really close to the end, but the, that awful Prince Andrew BBC interview where he claimed oh that he was God. physically incapable of sweating <laughs> at the time that he like assaulted Virginia Jeffrey. Yeah. I had a condition where wherein I, I just wouldn't sweat at all, so impossible he just clearly was like on molly or something yeah. like just something that would make you sweat a lot like the absolute strangest pr choice i've i've ever seen in in my life the, the someone willingly proselytizing themselves uh on on one of your country's you know uh four tv stations uh, <laughs> just truly truly a bizarre bizarre decision for a a, a prince to make but you know that that is one of the the, the things that like since um Gawain's been arrested and just sort of uh all the all the kind of weird uh all all the celebrities who've sort of come up and been like oh we were great friends but i didn't know anything about what you were doing you know and, and like uh just over over the last year or so of of people in this world um just it's it's been a nice reminder that uh rich rich people are not actually any smarter than you and they didn't get there through any um uh like skills yeah exactly you know just <laughs> just a series you know what what's her name uh uh What's the old CEO of Reddit's name? Who Ellen uh, Pow? Pow, yeah. Who came out and was like, "Yeah, she was at this the dinner parties. We all knew about it, you know." And and just like, why? Why would you just keep that to yourself? Just there, there's you're not doing yourself any favors by by getting in front of it because no one is going to report on it unless you get in front of it, you know. Because people, there's no, you know, media still works with class interests and with in mind, and and they're not really interested in sussing out all the connections that uh, Glenn had uh, to to people because it gets closer and closer to people who you know have stake in media, and so why would you even do that unless unless yeah, anyways. It, very bizarre decisions over the last couple of weeks by some yeah. celebrities. 
no, and, and Ellen Powell literally said that um, she was like, oh yeah, she was at a Kleiner Perkins, uh, like the the VC firm in in you know in Silicon Valley. She she was like, yeah, she came through to this uh, Kleiner Perkins dinner on this time. I'm like, lady, everyone who's reading this tweet who was also at that party is urging you to delete this right now. Right, like you're implicating not just yourself. I mean, not like not like I'm saying that Ellen Powell did this. I'm sure. I mean. I, I, if if you're at a function and you see Jelaine Maxwell, your first reaction should be like, "Oh, that lady is a serial sexual assaulter who ran this crim- this ring of you know disgusting child porno- or, um, pornography and and uh, prostitution." But um, you, sh- I don't know. I, I don't think everyone else there was on the on board with that with that sentiment. I feel like a, a lot of other people were like, "Oh yeah, we you know allegedly whatever, we don't care," or um, just sweeping it under the rug. And again, it's like. You're, there's more than just you involved when you say that. You're kind of uh, widening the scope there. But... Yeah, <laughs> quite a lot. Quite a lot. So I guess another issue that I had with this doc, and I'm interested to see if you guys had um, had this or noticed this, I feel like we get a lot of testimony from people like Michael Tenenbaum, who was a former Bear Stearns executive. He's the guy who basically onboarded Jeffrey Epstein at Bear Stearns, the uh, investment firm that he randomly got hired at, like after a parent-teacher conference with the CEO while he was teaching at the Dalton School, which is also, I mean, this bougie, prestigious school in Manhattan, which he had no business being a teacher at, being someone without a bachelor's degree. Not that there's nothing wrong with not having a bachelor's degree, but I just don't see how the Dalton School would want to hire you if you didn't have one. Well, uh, you know, William Barr, who had uh, intelligence ties, uh, hired him. His dad. And obviously... Sorry, uh, yeah, his dad. Sorry, his William Barr, the current Attorney General's father, Donald Barr, uh, who had ties to intelligence. Who was an OSS? OSS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, Um, he hired Epstein at the Dalton School, which was his first job. You know, Epstein did not come from wealth, so he had to be brought into that world. Yeah, uh, that was that was actually interesting, though, because. uh, I'm forgetting his name already. Uh, uh, he just brought up, but the guy who onboarded Tenenbaum, Tenenbaum. Michael Tenenbaum. He was the first person I've ever set heard say that Jeffrey lied on his resume. That was the first time I've ever heard that claim before. Um, and it's not like audacious, but it's weird that it's never ever come up. And it like, I guess it means he lied on his resume to get the teaching job and I guess it, but it, it's, I mean, again, very strange that neither of these prestigious institutions checked the resume before they hired him, you know, called the college to say, Oh, does this guy actually go there? Um, but yeah, I, I've n- never have I heard that before. And it, it kind of felt like something that they slid in there to be like, let's put all this to rest, you know, but, Again, I don't know. I think, well, didn't one of, didn't Tenenbaum or was it one of the other financial guys say like, this is my like absolution or something? Yes. Like, so this is what I'm driving at is like, you get all these bankers, like these executives. So you got Michael Tenenbaum, the Bear Stearns guy. You've got um, Stephen Hoffenberg, who basically ran a Ponzi scheme with Jeffrey Epstein in the 80s. And um, all both of those guys, I, I think um, Hoffenberg was the one who said the thing like, this is my redemption coming forward. Like, I, I regret being the kind of person who enabled Jeffrey Epstein and helped him build his wealth, which he then used to run this disgusting criminal enterprise. But 
it's weird. They they keep coming to this refrain of like, oh, he was just so brilliant. He was so charismatic. He was so like, uh, he we, we, we were helpless. We were like in his thrall. And I don't know, when the victims say that, because the victims are, you know, they, they get a lot of um, testimony from the victims, a lot of whom come from West Palm Beach, the, you know, poorer city to the, uh, to the west, obviously, of Palm Beach, where Epstein had his disgusting mansion. And for those people, I mean, those are young girls, like literally high schoolers, um, like young teenagers, and he's promising them things and trying to get them out of like poverty and all, you know, claiming he's trying to get them out of poverty and stuff. I can see how you can manipulate them. But like these guys, I'm like, you guys are literally like big deal, like Wall Street bankers. I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't buy it. Like when I don't buy that he was actually this bit much of a charismatic man that he could like completely hoodwink these people. Um, I don't know. There's just something weird about it to me. And it, it felt like we got a lot of, a lot of effort was put into show having them say this stuff so that it could seem like, you know, he just, we were helpless. Like there was no way we could have averted this when, when you, I mean, we brought up like the egg shaped penis testimony and all the times that lawyers who were, who were, um, who were deposing Epstein tried to rattle him. And, he doesn't seem that hard to knock off base. It's not like they did. I don't think they did the best job of rallying him, but it also doesn't seem like it was, it seems like it was, he, he was relatively shaken off of like relatively little. And I'm just like, and, and also with his interview with George Rush, like when you get to actually hear his voice, he, I don't know. I mean, it's limited, it's limited information for sure. And I've, maybe I already have my mind made up, but it, I just didn't see it. I was just like, I don't see this guy being this like master manipulator able to like talk the, you know, talk up these big banking guys. Like they're not these demoralized, you know, poor women in their teens, like they're, or girls in their teens. They're like these big deal fucking banker guys in the eighties. I, I just don't see it. I don't know. What was, I, I, so I had the same fucking thought and, and um, so this documentary sort of played it both ways. Cause they also did the thing where they talked about how like he actually wasn't very social and he hated to like get dressed up and you know, he wouldn't go to restaurants was a point they made. Right. God, he and, does dress like shit too. Oh my God. You know, Worst <laughs> fits of all time. Maria um, on Trunon, when they talked to Maria, she, she spoke pretty extensively about how like when she worked in his building he never came downstairs. He never left. He never went anywhere. You know, like, you know, girls and, and women would go up to see him, but he never, he didn't like socialize. And then there was that, I, I forgot to, to look up, um, cause this interview popped in my head after, after all these sort of execs being like, Oh, we were just wowed by him. And he was just so brilliant. Um, do you guys remember that interview that came out, um, a little after after Epstein was killed and where it was like one of his sort of like sciencey friends um, going kind of back and forth between like, um, you know, Jeffrey, he's not, he, he, you have them all wrong. You have them all wrong. And also, you know, and going between like, um, oh yeah, he was absolutely brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. He'd surround himself by all these brilliant people, but whenever there was a conversation that got above the surface level, he'd be like, this is boring. Who wants to talk about fucking, you know? And yeah, I absolutely, I, I remember I that. I forget who did that interview. One of the strangest things I've ever read, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he was, uh, like, 
I don't buy that he was like full of charisma in in the way that like he would be the center of attention anywhere. Um, you know, maybe he was like a master sort of like manipulator salesman type who could just like satisfy his like disgusting urges. But I don't buy that he could have like, you know, outside of his money, it's not like there was any reason for these like scientists or people that he tried to, you know, get on his side to reingratiate himself into society. Like there's no, you know, they're, they're not there because of his personality, you know? No, absolutely not. You know, he was, he was a, a completely, uh, he had like a lot of quack ideas that he, he, the want. sex ranch. Yeah. He, you know, he wanted to do this weird, like breeding program and all, all this fucking horrifying stuff because he, he thought of himself as some like Godhead that needed to be preserved through all of time. But like, that's not, there's no like larger questions like, or, you know, larger thinking driving the question of like, whether or not, you know, I could, I could start a sex branch, you know, it's, 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 because his like ego is out of control, you know. That's that's all there is to it. He's he's not he's no one, no one who was close to him, um, as far as I can tell, thought he was a brilliant guy. No, it's so funny when they uh, they play like test or I think it's when um, when Epstein was talking to George Rush in his interview and he's like, you know, because of me, all these scientists at like at Harvard and stuff are getting funded. And uh, if you really think I'm like, tr you know, giving them child prostitutes, most of these men are like in their 70s and 80s. But then there's also that interview where that guy, like, like we just said, where every time the topic got too out there, Epstein would be like, like, how does this relate to pussy? And just the idea of like all these like septuagenarian like eggheads sitting at the table when he says something like that just be like right ugh, uh, uh. but then we're also supposed to believe that he was able to like intellectually dazzle these people it just doesn't add up and um i don't know but i i think that also we need to get to the main thing the main source of epstein's wealth the only thing we really know about how he made his money is through managing less wexner's um like personal fortune and the fact that Les Wexner just randomly gave him power of attorney and like a jet and all this other shit. Not enough Wexner in the documentary. Yeah. That's why I wanted to, I was like, I wanted to ask you guys like how, what did you think about the way that Wexner is portrayed? Because he's not, there's, I don't think he wanted to be in the documentary for obvious reasons, <laughs> but in general, it's kind of glossed over. I'm like, this is kind of the only way we know that he had any money. It doesn't make sense otherwise without him. He's like a key figure in this. So some, something I was thinking about um, when, when the charges were announced for uh, Glenn is uh, they're from 94, crimes from 94 to 97. And I thought, like, that's weird because that's sort of like the time in Epstein's life that's kind of underexplored. And I thought, like, what the fuck was going on from, like, 94 to 97? Um, and... It, it does tie into to, um, uh, Wexner pretty pretty heavily, you know. Like ninety four, uh, Epstein takes control of Wexner's money. Uh, ninety five is when Wexner buys Southern Air Transport, which uh, for the less tinfoily people, that was a CIA uh, run air transport system that uh, is pretty deeply tied with around Contra stuff and um, like heroin smuggling. 
but that got moved to Ohio. He, uh, Epstein got the penthouse in that time. Um, he just, he, Epstein got ties with Clinton in 93 when he, uh, attended a, uh, a donor reception, but only got really close with him in like 96, um, through Dersh, I think, um, who was also a big donor, but, but basically like 94 to 97 is like, you start to like get the ties between what, what I think, uh, Jeffrey made his money doing. And that was, I think working with, uh, Wexner, um, potentially to run guns. I, I think that was like a big part of where he made his money. Um, I, I, this is pretty speculative at this point because there's allegedly, there's, yeah, <laughs> allegedly, you know, cause there's, there's, there's nothing on paper or there's very little on paper that says like Wexner, you know, had anything to do with gun running. Now there are a lot of allegations about criminal connections to Wexner. You know, there was like a mob hit outside of his property in the eighties and there was, you know, that, um, got pretty covered up by the, uh, police department there because they're all allegedly on Wexner's payroll and all that shit. And then depending on who's reporting you're doing, it gets kind of spooky into like a lot, uh, spooky in the sense of like, you start looking at like kind of anti-Semitic conspiracies about what, Wexner was doing in terms of like speculation on like what um, I don't know. Do you guys know the? Have you heard the allegations about like the mega group? Is that is that a thing that's crossed your radar yet? No, I'm not familiar. <sighs> okay, so the mega group is like Whitney Webb likes to talk about the mega group a lot. Who I think is um, has dug up some really interesting information and is also uh, you know Mint Press News. Uh, which is the organization she was writing for, at least at that point when she was doing this work on Epstein. It's, it's I'm a little skeptical of, and I'm, um, and, but the mega group was in, and is an actual organization that, um, Wexner is involved in. Steven Spielberg is involved in a couple of other, like very high profile, like Jewish Americans and who at least they acted as, like an advocacy group, advocacy group for Israel. Now there was an actual, um, basically, uh, phone call that came out between the White House and um, I don't remember if it was what part of the Israeli government this this came through, but they they were looking for. I don't remember what they were looking for. My brain is a mess. Um, but they mentioned, they mentioned, we will get the information from mega. Now, what the fuck is mega in this context? Is that this weird, this weird group of, uh, Israeli advocates that probably are not connected to in, uh, international spying ring or whatever, which again, lots of people on, you know, in sort of the fringes of Jeffrey Epstein reporting, I like, like to talk about this. Uh, mega is also probably just the word that they used for the CIA, but um, 
It but is also there's... the name of a supermarket chain in Israel. That oh really? But you know, it gets it gets all fucking into territories that like lots of conspiracy theories get. You know, where there's just like this high profile group of Jews pulling the strings on everything, and like, and because. I'm a leftist and I I think that once you start delving into that territory, you're probably coming from a pretty fucked up place. And so this is just information I choose to discard because like I I don't I don't know. I don't think a group of celebrities is working for Mossad, probably. <laughs> yeah. It's tough, right? Because you know, you don't you don't want to you don't want to play into some of the worst tendencies of tinfoil hat people, which is to kind of, you know, just be like dumb and racist or, you know, like, uh, well, I don't know. You you had, mentioned uh, you'd, you wanted to talk a little bit about the the rise of the conspiratorial to like a mainstream level of discourse. So uh, Barto. I mean, we can, we can look at it through the lens of Wayfair or, or QAnon or uh, any of these sort of popular things that have popped up online. Uh, what do you think has what do you think has caused these sort of uh, rapid fire conspiracy brain on social media? I, I mean, part of it is just being stuck at home, you know, uh, and it's it's distressing as as like real social movements are starting to really take off you know like again i'm sort of a tinfoil hatter but i also see conspiracy theories as like a barrier to organizing you know like if you think that wayfair is transporting children in uh in twenty thousand dollar filing cabinets or whatever like you can't do anything about that that is further than you can touch you can't you, you it is so far out of your reach and and it it's paralyzing you know um uh pandemic is another one of those things that like people tangentially related to me in the real world uh, you know smart people people who should be much smarter than this have watched have watched like QAnon shit and they don't know it's QAnon shit and are starting to think like oh maybe this is all why are we staying inside? This is all fake. This is just like a weird way to like oppress us further and stuff like that. And you're seeing this on the left and the right. You know, there's like very strange figures. I, I don't know how deep you get into this, but like like Red Kahina and, and Phil Greaves on, on the left who are big proponents of like uh, COVID is just state repression or whatever. Um, yeah, I'm familiar with that. Um, and and on the right, it's you know it's a similar thing. It's a hoax. It's a it you know the it's a plan to get you to take a vaccine with a microchip in it or whatever. Um, but th this all this really came to a frustrating point um, a few weeks ago. And again, the amount of conspiracy theories we've cycled through in the last month has been just like mind blowing to me. It's been wild. But the 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 fireworks, the CIA. I, I got so into the fireworks. I got so into the fireworks conspiracies. Oh, okay. So, so, you know, again, I'm in, I'm in Wilmington. I'm in a little town. It's, it seems, uh, 
like bizarre to me that like the the CIA would be would be hitting Wilmington, Delaware uh, with with such fireworks nasty. But fireworks have been going off like wild for for pretty much since the quarantine started, you know, and everyone was getting all up in arms about this online. And it was it was it was rattling my brain. And I thought, like, this is actually something that you can figure out. This is, you know, most conspiracy theories, you you can't feel it's it's in the halls of power, you know, very far away from you. But the kids shooting off fireworks are at the end of your fucking block and you just need to not be a baby and you just need to go ask them where they got their fucking fireworks from. And the kids on my block who who got their fireworks got it from the same guy who sells heroin, you know, and it was just like it wasn't like bottom rate prices, you know, it wasn't expensive, but like. You know, it was how much you buy secondhand fireworks for when fireworks are really on sale because there's a bunch of Fourth of July shows that have been canceled. You know, like it was, but what? It, the we okay. The weird thing, just just to say one thing, please. Uh, after July Fourth, it all stopped. Okay. I haven't heard like a fireworks since. So explain that one, Bardo. <laughs> I mean, the, they shot all them off. They shot them all. <laughs> they ran out. You know, you buy out. you buy the early stock before Fourth of July. The then all of a sudden they're like, actually, we're not doing Fourth of July, and they're like, shit. Well, I guess we're not buying any more, you know, fireworks for my fireworks warehouse. And then you sell them all. You get them off real cheap before fireworks day. <laughs> and then you know, I mean, we still get them sometimes, but. Not quite the the rate that they were going beforehand, but again, it that right there in itself was this. All of a sudden, the, there was this movement on, and there is it's still going on. And there's this movement on the streets where like where people are coming together in in ways that we've not really seen. You know, I've been I've been an activist for like all, going on twenty years. Um, Right? I've not seen the sort of common cause getting together uh, in such a sustained and also aggressive way in my lifetime. And it felt like it was all going to fall apart because we were so upset about fireworks. And all of a sudden people, you know, at rallies who were shooting off fireworks, you know, which in, in my circles, uh, of like anarchist circles is like a tactic that's been used all around the world for like years and years and years. All of a sudden they're like, where did you get those? You know, who, who are you? <laughs> and you know, it's, it's so destructive to, to getting anything tangibly done. And so like, you know, last year I read, I don't read a lot of fiction, which is, which is not a flex. It's a fault. But like last year I read probably two thirds, two thirds of the books I read were like theory of some kind. I'm, I'm usually like in environmental science is like my big thing and, and police and uh, prison are, are sort of, those are like the big three topics that I, I read about. But I did like a one third on tinfoil hat stuff. I read what's Tom O'Neill's book, Chaos. That was. Oh my God. It's so good. I'm reading it now. It's so fucking yeah, awesome. Fun. Um, so funny you know i read um uh crossing the rubicon because i i'd never i'd never gotten around to that one and and you know but that's like 
it's it's not none of that stuff riles me up because it shouldn't because it's 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 a pacifier it's 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 stuff to like soothe my brain more than anything and well i think tom o'neill would say that right like the the author of chaos i feel like that's part of it he's saying how like I just had to put this book out because it's been like fucking me up for so long. And it, like he talked about it, like devastated his mental health. Mm-hmm. The conspiratorial isn't something to, it's very like, uh, it can be very self aggrandizing perhaps. Yeah. I, I agree with, with you Bardo about conspiracies in that um, there's this kind of distancing effect in a conspiracy theory. There's a couple things that happen. Number one, like you said, if there was this conspiracy going on, um, let's say the anti-Semites are right, and you know Dan and I are the rest, and the rest of our people are conspiring to like do whatever it is we're doing. Um, there's nothing that anyone can you can do about that as an activist, as like a, an average person. But the other thing that's going on there is that you're assuming that someone's driving this thing, which right. I don't think is necessarily true. I think um, even in the highest halls of power, you know, down the street or whatever in D.C those people are just kind of making it up as they go. Like there's not, I don't think there's really anyone driving this thing. I don't know how many people have these grand overarching plans that, you know, touch on everything. And there are people who are very ambitious and very do really fucked up stuff to um, advance their ambitions. But I don't know that it's, it's definitely not like in the level of like this one cabal, but I do also agree with you on why people are talking about it now a lot of people are stuck at home like you said but also a lot of people because of these uprisings are starting to get woke and if you get woke without having some kind of theory um like some kind of unifying theory of why this stuff happens like for for us you know i at least dan and i are are, you know we're we're fans of marx we're marxists on here and it gives you this um it gives you a way to explain wh- why the the rich protect one another and why there is this class collusion without it necessarily being a class conspiracy. And if you reject that, or um, I thought about it a lot with the high profile people like Nick Cannon um, and I think Deshaun Jackson and like some other athlete people were sh- some of their celebrities were sharing like fi- the fake Hitler quote where Hitler says that World War Three is going to be like when the Israelites, you know, the, the, the black people of America realize that they're the true Israelites right. and like the Jews stole their title, which is obviously fake. And it's, 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 you know, you can go on Snopes and debunk it very quickly. But um I think that when people like that are searching, they're trying to get woke and they're trying to explain these deeper things, but they don't, they're not going to, you know, pick up capital and be like, Oh, this is why things are, these bad things are happening. If you don't have that theoretical background or, um, or at least a, a, a coherent, like theoretical, um, explanation that you can kind of claim that you can kind of point to and that actually ties these things together in a material way, then you start just getting out into just hokery and you start thinking, oh, the government's lying to me or the media's lying to me, both of which are probably true on some level. But as we've said, you can't really know the extent to which that occurs. Um, you can't know which lies they're really telling you if they are telling you lies. And there's nothing you can really do about it. So, um, I don't know. I guess it just it, it leads people to this part place where they're like, oh, someone's driving this thing, number one. So someone's got a plan, um, which makes me feel like uh, however I feel about that. But at the end of the day, there's nothing I can do. I just got to stay woke and like, uh, you know, look into the, all this stuff and like read as much conspiracy stuff as possible, which is not the same as organizing. And as, as you said, it can actually get in the way of like mass organization. Right. I mean, there's 
what can you do about uh, a, a pedophile cabal, cabal that controls the world or whatever? Like, nothing, you know. Keep an eye on your kids. Um, <laughs> what but, do you mean, what can I do? I, I can't do anything about it. What do you think? <laughs> I'm right, not it, anything it, over here. It's... it's <laughs> I, and, you know, at some level, there are definitely a lot of powerful people who also are pedophiles. You know, like, that is clearly a, a thing that has, has, has come to pass is true. You know, this is, like, a thing I've been sort of keeping tabs on since, like, the... Um, the remember the green dolphin um apartments um it it was like the british mps in the 80s and in i think 2015 um there was like a truth and reconciliation um thing that that happened with that in in the uk uh where it was just like everyone who was an mp in the uk in the late 80s just was a pedophile and it just was you know, kind of like brain shattering to me. Um, but class rule as it exists doesn't exist because some people want to be pedophiles. You know, right. like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. That is like totally, it matters for the people who it affects and it matters, you know, for, you know, say there are intelligence agencies wrapped up in the Jeffrey Epstein case. That means there are, there are levers uh, or uh, of power that e exists um, that that have some influence on to, to like how particular people behave or whatever. Like if you know if there's videos of you know X or Y politician doing something absolutely horrifying, you know, then they're then they're you know held to a certain standard or whatever. But I also would be it would be bonkers to suggest that that's why the whole world functions the way it does yeah totally <laughs> and um no i mean uh it, it buys into the great man fallacy the you know this theory of history that like uh history's moved forward by you know these huge individuals and as opposed to like obviously it's the result of many people doing something that's what creates movements and moves history forward but um what you said about like the fact that yeah there are probably a lot of pedophiles in halls of power but it's not like you join the halls of power so that you can become a pedophile necessarily right. um it reminds me when I, when when michael bloomberg was in the primary i remember being so nervous at the idea of him getting the nomination because like for me as a as a layman working class Jew, like if they if this like multi billionaire <laughs> banker Jew was able to literally buy the election of like the uh, you know the major the largest party in this country if it was a, he was able to buy their primary and get the nomination by just spending like a billion dollars then oh boy like the the all the QAnon people and all the conspiracy people would start burning down synagogues and shit because there's no way we'd be able to distance themselves from it and you know yes michael bloomberg is a is a complete sadist i mean also i think on the flight on the flight logs you can correct me if i'm wrong about that i don't that. remember i think so yeah yeah I thought it, he's at least in the black book for sure. Yeah, yeah, he's in the black book. But um, either way, like, 
definitely someone who is probably personally is fucked up. I mean, has a ton of sexual um, abuse and assault allegations against him. And, um, you know, is as shitty as any other super rich banker, but it's not because he's Jewish. It's just because he's a shitty banker. He happens to be Jewish. But I remember thinking, I'm like, there's no way people are going to be allow that kind of nuanced thought. If he gets the nomination, then there's going to be open season on like working class Jews. Yeah, Harvey Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein really, really fucked us. Oh my god! Yeah, remember when they got mad at Jeffrey, uh, or sorry, at Jeremy Corbyn <laughs> for calling him like Jeffrey Epstein, like using the German oh, pronunciation yeah. instead? It was, it <laughs> and they're like, "That's clearly anti-Semitism." I'm like, you, you guys Ep- haven't made Ep- a Epstein? Was that it? Yeah, yeah I, I think Epstein, he said it like I that, think, yeah. and people were like, "Oh, it's clear that he's anti-Semitic." That and the fact that he gave someone a copy of a Christmas Carol, which is written by a noted anti-Semite. Like, come on. Yeah. Eh, no thanks. Uh, yeah, I think he was, he was just in the, uh, black book. I don't think he was on the flight logs, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the, and, and that's it is, is that it's when you think this way, you work yourself into a box for what is and what is not possible. And, you know, what is possible is, um, a class revolt. You know, but if you don't know who you're working against and if you think who you're fighting against are, you know, 20 people in a bunker, you know, two miles underground, you you can't overcome that because they live underground. And if they're pulling all the strings there, you know, that you, you can't reach the puppet masters or whatever. Uh, which, which yeah, is then you get this, this shit like, oh, everyone's got a bum rush area 51 or whatever. I mean, that was delightful. It was a funny, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, you know, it, that was like, there was that moment there where I thought like, um, that there's, there's this idea of like collective power in that, you know, which is cool. And like, you know, what if we all bummed rushed a nice facility, you know, which was, uh, the thing we were talking about then besides area 51 and, uh, which I'm sure we'll be talking about again in two months because like every six months or so we're reminded that there's a huge concentration camp going on at our border. But we forget that because we get so fucking wrapped up in in the most tedious bullshit that has uh, that doesn't affect our like material reality in in any meaningful way. No, I think you're absolutely right, and uh, it's good to kind of keep these things in perspective, even as we, you know, spend an hour uh, or more discussing, uh, you know, the case that has broken all of our brains for so long. But isn't the Epstein story like a perfect conspiracy for like the left? It's all about just like power and like uh, you know these these different uh, people of different class stratospheres, you know, taking advantage of people uh lower than them mm-hmm. um yeah it's like it's 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 perfect for a you know a left analysis right yeah i've definitely um i've definitely said that before that it's kind of a microcosm of the way that the ruling class um victimizes the working class even if it doesn't occur and it's like specific um you know specific like like cabal of rich people fucking over you know and victimizing all these people it is kind of it, it is a small scale example of like what we're all kind of going through even if it's not to the same extent one 100 i that's part of what sort of drew me into this whole thing it was is that it 
it it's a great analogy as fucked up as that is to like you know consider you know what the the struggles of um the victims of jeffrey epstein and and Ghislaine are uh my, my personal struggles are are nothing compared to that but it is it creates like a a, a pretty perfect analogy for the um like i guess the vampiricism of of how class operates in um you know neoliberal capitalism yeah uh do we have any final thoughts on the documentary series uh jeffrey epstein filthy rich uh i have to mention before we uh leave that it was produced by joe berlinger who directed one of sam's favorite pieces of media ever uh is metallica's some uh, what is it <laughs> some, some kind, kind of monster, monster. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not as out of left field as it sounds because um he he some kind of monster was back in like 2004 and since then um Berlinger has done other like more uh he did I think he did the Ted Bundy docu series on Netflix so he's done stuff as more in this wheelhouse since then but definitely a little fun bit of trivia right there uh some kind of monster just wonderful <laughs> trying to convince my girlfriend to watch that movie with me and she doesn't she doesn't believe me that I want to watch it because it it makes Metallica out to look like huge piss babies, but um, uh, you know she thinks this is a, a plot because I also like their first three or four albums quite quite a lot. And so, but yeah, yeah, their early stuff is some of my favorite music out there. But um, they, uh, but yeah, no, it is a hard sell for uh, for female romantic partners from your coming from your uh, from your male partner. My, I, uh, I tried to show it to my wife and explained the my like angle on it. I was like, it's these people who are like acting like utter babies in their process to make one of the worst albums of all time. And, um, and she was just like, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> She's like, I don't really need to finish it though. But I tried. It's it's like it's just um, it's a great picture of how the ultra wealthy operate and, you know, which is something that my partner cares about quite a lot. That's that's the angle I'm trying to sell it on. But but we'll see how it goes. But uh, do we have any final thoughts on Filthy Rich, the Jeffrey Epstein Not some kind of monster, you sure? <laughs> Not some kind of monster. My bad. Um, <laughs> save that one for later. Um no, I think overall, it's probably it's probably worthwhile that it exists just to get the victim stories out to like a worldwide audience, uh, even if it doesn't uh, go as far as uh, I, uh, you know, a uh, a Epstein online, uh, you know, someone someone who sleuths the story as shit comes out, um, even if it wasn't like necessarily to my liking i don't think it was like uh i, I think it could have been a lot worse uh, uh bardo what did you what did you what final thoughts on the series yeah i mean i think probably like if if this is a thing that you're interested in this shouldn't be the beginning of ending of of where you search but again going with my my general theme you you should do that on on the extra time that you're not using to do something uh more interesting or productive you know like uh, i've you know i've i've been unemployed for the last you know 4 months or whatever and um you know most of that time i've i've used like 
know, I, I know you talked to Ray about this last week, but like we do, you know, food, not bombs here. We've been doing free groceries. We've been doing, um, raising legal aid for a victim of a police shooting. Like we do, I keep myself very, very busy. And then I, I have this little sliver of time that I, uh, open my third eye for and, and dive in and, and, I, you know, I put off watching this documentary for a long time because I thought this is all going to be surface level bullshit. I don't need to, I don't even need to watch it. But like, as a, as a film about the struggles of these women, um, it's pretty heavy and well done and they, it treats them really, really well. Um, and like, I absolutely appreciate it for that. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with all that. Um, it's, it, it, I mean, I guess if everyone's going to be watching like the Tiger King or whatever, or something like <laughs> some other docu-series of Netflix's, that's just kind of like, I don't know, doesn't really contribute anything. This, this, like I said, does, even though we don't think that conspiracy theories are like the best way to get people into organizing and it definitely doesn't replace, you know, investigating a, a conspiracy theory is not a, is not activism and is not a replacement for the work you should be doing on the ground. Um, it's, it's, I don't know, there's a lot more going on with this story than um, meets the eye. If it could get, you know, if it's someone's first exposure to it, it could get people into looking at more of this and then maybe getting into uh, how does, you know, figuring out how the mechanics of this whole exploitation machine uh, work. So on that level, I think it's definitely worthwhile. Um, the omissions are, you know, we don't know what to make of that. It could be an editorial choice, could be a legal choice, or they could be completely trying to throw us off the scent of the fact that Jeffrey Epstein, you know, is operating a gigantic floating brain above the U.S. or something like that that we <laughs> aren't allowed to know about. But um, until we get that the deets on that, you know, this is all this is kind of all we have that and like what we can find in our own what we can find that is allegedly true, which I feel like we haven't said allegedly enough in here, but. Uh, you know, we'll say we'll say oh, a big one at the beginning. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, the allegedly at the beginning uh, encompasses the entire episode. That's, that's law, right there, baby. That's uh, that's uh, what I've decreed, and it is my podcast. <laughs> so, uh, I, I guess we'll wrap it up here. Um, Bardo, thanks for joining us. Uh, you, you know, you you uh, you've added a lot to our uh, conversation. I, I think. Uh, I don't think we would have gone in as many, uh, you know, you, br you brought kind of a, a steady hand to this episode, I think. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't even get into a couple of the more tinfoil hatty things that I'd prepared. So, um, you know, I. Well, you know, if you want, if you want to go through now, uh, no, uh, one or that's two things, right. feel free. <laughs> the, there was there was some of the, the NYSE filings that I was like. Uh, you know, I started thinking about the banks he was connected to and all that stuff. But you know, we're not going to get into that today because uh, there's so much other shit that's going on that's probably more important. That's true. And um, uh, you want to promote uh, uh, Food Not Bombs Wilmington's uh, chapter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're on, you know, we're on Facebook, uh, FNB Wilmington. Same thing on Twitter. I think we're at FNB Wilm on Instagram. Um, we do vegetarian meals every week. We have a free store every Wednesday on the east side where people could come and just pick up. Like we do like groceries and diapers and wipes and 
like sort of home supplies and stuff like that. We um, are finished raising money for this particular uh, victim of police violence, but we are always looking for more money. Um, so yeah, if you feel got a couple bucks in your pocket, um, we do meals that have like four or five courses on like they cost us like a little under two dollars including packaging um so it it your dollar goes a long way when you give to food not bombs Wilmington. that's my pitch cool and uh where can people follow you on twitter i'm uh at el barto army all right and um you can follow me at spaventacular on uh everything and uh sam uh we, we have a patreon now i guess yeah plug the patreon patreon.com slash hog planet um follow hog planet on instagram at hog planet podcast follow the show on twitter at hog planet you can follow me if you so desire at Wagstank on twitter i am not really posting i'm taking a mental health break but uh just see so in case i ever come back you'll get to see my glorious tweets but, but yeah i think that's about it so uh, did we did we do did we do an Epstein episode here that did we do it, the topic justice? It's it's impossible to tell. It's it's so vast. We totally forgot about the fact that um one of the, the one of the federal judges who's like uh, working on his um or is going to be adjudicating the Deutsche Bank case where Deutsche Bank is going supposedly was like funneling money to Epstein's um Epstein's enterprise. Uh, the fact that she her. Her son was uh, shot dead and her husband was wounded in an attack on her house by someone who may not be, uh, you know, affiliated with Epstein at all. It, but It was um, a men's rights lawyer, like a, yes. pretty, a yeah, particularly notable men's rights lawyer who I don't think was affiliated with Epstein as far as I can tell from like some Googling around. But um, yeah, it, it doesn't appear related to epstein but you know who the fuck knows and someone will make that connection somewhere maybe he was maybe he was picked because he was vaguely involved with this judge and now he has apparently committed suicide upstate or something so likely ending we'll never we'll never we'll never fuck it yeah right (laughs) um just uh, for some some information on that, uh, the case Den Hollander, Roy Den Hollander, was involved in as an advisor that ended up in Judge Salas's courtroom was filed in 2015 on behalf of the mother of a 17-year-old New Jersey girl who argued that the selective service system, the draft, uh, barring females from registering for the draft uh, uh, while making it mandatory for males was illegal. So she really wants to be, she doesn't want to join the army. She wants to be drafted into the army. Apparently I, I don't know a thing that doesn't happen. There's no, there's no draft I had it in like 50 years, but whatever. But that was the case that, that this, uh, this men's rights, uh, lawyer as he's been called. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. He, he built his career, um, arguing that ladies nights were illegal. That was that was that was like mostly what he's known for. Like, yeah, total total fucking shithead. He's out here defending the fellas. Yeah, if if the deep state got him, like they got one, you know, good good pick. I you know I don't who total scum. He's someone who yeah I don't think that uh, I don't think anyone's gonna be uh, I don't know. Seems like a seems like a bit of an asshole. My last word on that is that um, 
he clearly went to a ladies' night and then tried to get a girl to give him the, her free drink and then got caught by the bartender <laughs> and kicked out. And he just fucking never let it go. Like, through all his years of undergrad and then law school and years as an attorney, he's like, I will get that bartender. So, with that, Dan, you want to wrap us up? <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- thank you for joining us today. Uh, uh, this is... Hog Planet. <laughs>